0: Welcome into the Gump Runners podcast, Chase Thornton and Lester Mitchell tonight. We don't know where Jeremy Law is. He's either playing Call of Duty or his wife put him to work, working on that house up there that he's been working on for about three years, it seems like. Um we've tried other people, Gage Pregno, he he refuses to get off Call of Duty to uh to to come to come talk with us. Lester, that must be a uh a pretty popular game. I do not have it downloaded. I know you guys try to get me to download it about once every three days, it seems like. Man, is that game addicting or what?
1: Look, there's nothing better than catching a win on Warzone. Um, and besides Warzone on multiplayer, look, all of you guys have have all graduated. We don't live within ten minutes of each other anymore. It's kind of a way to unwind after a day of work and catch up with your buddies. So it's a I can the game is very very appealing.
0: Yeah, I call I call it Gage, and he goes. I'm on the sticks, bro. He gave me a big long side. He's oh, he like, I'm on the sticks, bro. I mean, they'll they'll be there when you get off. Good lord, priorities. But uh, anyway, we know where his loyalties lie. It's so obviously not to to gump runners, and I get that. It's okay. It's okay. I see him. He lives around the corner from me. I, I, I'll get him. Don't worry. But uh, post national championship game edition here on the podcast, Alabama beats down Ohio State, fifty-two to twenty-four. Just an absolute drumming on the biggest stage. Alabama putting together its best game plan of the year. They dominated from start to finish. Um, you know, just Mac Jones doing what he does, setting setting an NCAA or uh, a college football playoff championship record, throwing for four hundred and sixty-four yards. Devonta Smith catching for two hundred and fifteen yards and three touchdowns all in the first half. He goes out early in the third quarter with a look like a dislocated finger. Um, I don't know if anything's actually come out on that, but that's what it looked like. So he was uh he was out for the rest of the game, but what an incredible um performance he put together in his last game at the University of Alabama. Um Lester, I mean, let's just start from the beginning. That you know, Alabama wins the toss, they defer to the second half, which in a big game personally, I think if you've got an excellent offense like Alabama has, that was kind of questioning to me because I would expect them, if they win the toss, to take the ball because that's the strength of their team. Go ahead, use your scripted plays, your scripted drive, jump out on them early, and then have that 7-0 advantage and be playing you know, – don't be playing from behind or just risk playing from behind. Make them play from behind, but they kick the ball off, they stop Ohio State with ease, and then they go down and score just like that. And from that point forward, Ohio State was never in charge of the game.
1: Never, ever in charge. I mean, the game really wasn't in doubt, I guess. I'll tell you what. As a Bama fan, that first drive, seeing how easily they stopped Ohio State was indicative of how the rest of the game would go. There's no doubt that Ohio State would score, but with a couple lucky breaks, that defense, that Pete Golding-led defense, Whereas was capable of stopping that Ohio Ohio State offense, so from the very first, from the very beginning of the game, defense set the tone, and uh, the offense did its job.
0: You just, you know, you're going to hear comparisons to the 2019 LSU team um, and the 2020 Alabama team for the best team ever, and you can make arguments uh, for both sides, sure. because we haven't seen what these Alabama players have done in the NFL, um, everybody knows that Justin Jefferson's probably going to win Rookie of the Year. Joe Burrow was having a heck of a season until he uh, tore his knee up, and um, Clyde Edwards-Helaire was able to start for the Kansas City Chiefs um, in Game One. So uh, they're they're doing a pretty good job in the NFL. We have we have yet to see, but just as as far as college goes, as far as I mean, just a dominating performance. And and that word is not used lightly. I mean, this was an ass-whooping from start to finish. I just said that, and I can't express it enough. And it was just the icing on the cake for Alabama fans. And we talked about this a little bit before the game. I said that there was a a small chance. I, I felt there was a small chance that we could just blow this team out just because of the fact that they had only played seven games. Um, granted, they had put together their best game of the season and um probably the best game of Justin Fields' career against Clemson, but we talked about how the emotion that they played with for four quarters, the revenge factor that they had the entire off season, um that you know, with the with the posters being up all over with the score from the Clemson game in twenty twenty nineteen on it. And there was just, there was a lot they put into that game. And you could, you could say that that was their national championship. And I've actually heard some of their fans say that on message boards and Twitter that, you know, hey, at least we got Clemson. That's the one we, that we wanted. And so, you know, they can kind of count this season as a win. <laughs> uh, but, um, man, they just came in and they were bullied in every aspect of the game. Trey Sermon goes out, um, breaks his collarbone in the first run of the game. Um, and so he's gone. Lester, if, if Justin, this is what you're going to hear. And you have already heard it a little bit. If Justin Fields is healthy and Trey Sermon plays the whole game, what's the score
1: to this game? Do you, do you think it's close? I mean, they score another, what, 10, 13 points, maybe. Look here, Trey Sermon and healthy Justin Fields, you know what they weren't doing in that game? They were not playing defense at all. They weren't playing linebacker. They weren't safeties. They weren't DBs. They weren't covering Devontae Smith. That's not where their job is. The problems for Ohio State lied on the defensive side of the football. I don't care who was injured or what on the offense. It would not have mattered. And the quicker people accept that and realize that, the much more easier they can digest it.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, I mean, what, you know, Mac Jones throws the ball 30 times in the first half of this game, only 15 in the second, in the second half, and really didn't throw it the last two or three drives, might have thrown it one time. So, Alabama scores 52 points. If this was a shootout type game, Alabama could have scored 70 if they wanted to. There, there's no way Ohio State was gonna stop them. Even when Devonta Smith went out, you know, they, they came down and, uh, and scored, and then Matt Jones just leads him right back down the field without Devonta Smith. So um, it was just a well-oiled offensive machine all year long. The defense stepped up in the biggest game of the season. Um, they didn't allow Ohio State to get going at all. I mean, Justin Fields was barely over 50% passing. He threw for under 200 yards. Um, they ran for under 150, and so just – Really good job by, by Pete Golding in the execution. You know Christian Barmore up front. Chris Allen did a great job, and then you know the the entire secondary. Um, talk, talk to me about this, Lester. You know Justin Fields is projected to be the second quarterback off the board. Some people have Zach Wilson up there. Is Justin Fields, from what you saw Monday night, and really all this season minus one game, is he somebody that you would take as a second quarterback overall behind Trevor Lawrence?
1: Um, I take a special interest in this because I'm somewhat of a Falcons fan that he's projected to go to Atlanta, but I would be very hesitant drafting that guy that early. Look, everyone looks great at the combine. Everybody can throw it 65 yards. They can run a fast uh, 40. They can make all the throws, but in-game film is incredibly important. And Justin Fields has had some stinkers this year, absolutely, including in the National Championship game against, you know, arguably a NFL-type defense. Um, I would not put a lot of stock in him. Now, of course, there aren't that many NFL uh, prospects in coming out into the draft. So, of course, Justin Fields, he's going to be one of the best uh, college quarterbacks. He's going to get all the draft hype. He's gonna be one of the first couple quarterbacks taken, but I would not take him for my organization if I had a choice.
0: You know, here, here's another point to that is the fact that all you hear about Mac Jones is well, he's got Najee Harris, he's got Devonta Smith, he had Jalen Waddle for a little bit, now he has like John Metchie's a little bit, you know, they just talk about he's got the best offensive line in college football. They talk about everybody around Matt makes him better. Well, Justin Fields, you know, he had Trey Sermon all year. Uh, Master Teague was the backup running back. He actually started the year. So his coaching staff, a coaching staff that led them to the national championship, thought that Master Teague was better than Trey Sermon to begin the year. So, I mean, he, he had him. He had a really good offensive line. All we heard about was how Ohio State's offensive line dominated Clemson. They dominated Northwestern, ran for over 350 yards in that game, and – uh He's got Chris Olave on the outside. He's got Garrett Wilson. He's got um, a really good tight end. So Justin Fields has all these weapons. Why can't he get it done like Matt Jones can? Is, is my point. You know, everybody's so quick to point out that that Matt has all these weapons and that's the only reason that he's good and he's not an NFL quarterback. Man, I'm not saying Matt Jones is going to go off and win three Super Bowls, but what I'm saying is why why isn't that case brought up for these other quarterbacks? You know, I mean. Trevor Lawrence had Armani Rodgers and and Travis Etienne and all these stud playmakers, E.J. Williams against Ohio State. Why couldn't he get the job done? Why couldn't he only score 28 points? You you see what I'm saying? I I don't see this this same point being brought up with these other quarterbacks that why aren't they producing more because they had the same type talent as Matt Jones does at Alabama.
1: Yeah, it's it's complete BS. And I'll tell you exactly what it is. It is Alabama fatigue. They hate it. They can't stand it. But at the end of the day, they can't get rid of it. They can't get rid of Nick Saban. They can't get rid of this Alabama dynasty. They can't stop Nick Saban from bringing in the best recruits every single year. And it's they're they're just tired of it. But it's 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 crazy because had Ohio State have won last year championship. All you would have heard of is Justin feels this, Justin feels that, Justin feels this, Justin feels that, and it's crazy because if you go look up the recruiting classes for the last three or four years, Ohio State is right there behind Bama, or they're the number one team recruiting in the nation. They have players. It's it's crazy. Um, it's asinine, but it's going to be the same thing year in year out until this dynasty ends. Those guys have players, but Alabama's—they're just better. Yeah, you wonder. Um, there's
0: multiple times during that game where I asked myself, "What in the hell is the defense coordinator from Ohio State doing?" Uh, he, he, he Sartre knew they were going man on the goal line. I mean, there's a play where Devonta Smith goes in motion from left to right. Then he gets to the right side, and he stops, and he goes back. When he gets across the tackle, he breaks down and goes the other way. Real fast. The, the, the defender was on skates before the ball was even snapped. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian, what he, what he was able to do, game planning with Devonta Smith, inside of the 15-yard line was impressive. He caught two passes um, inside the 15-yard line. Slade Bolden caught a touchdown pass inside the 15-yard line. And um, when, it, when the field shrinks like that, and it gets hard to throw um, – there was a great game plan by Sartre to be able to use that fly motion that they do and that jet motion. And, um, there was one time where there was no motion at all. Devonta Smith lined up in the slot and they had the white linebacker on him. And he just runs right, right by him. And this poor guy is trying to stay step for step with one of the fastest, you know, <laughs> the guy runs like a gazelle. <laughs> and, uh, and he just runs right by him for an easy touchdown. And you just sit there wondering, like, did he even watch film? Did he even game plan, or was he too busy doing confetti angels after the after the Clemson win?
1: Look, that was hilarious. I saw a tweet <laughs> shortly after that touchdown. It said that that linebacker should have kept running to the tunnel, straight up to the press box, and slapped his defensive coordinator. Because <laughs> what can you do in that situation? Look. Unless you have a pistol and you're going to shoot that dude, all you can do is throw your hands up. You are not going to stop that guy. Look, the best chance that linebacker had was to tackle him as soon as the ball was snapped. And knowing Devonta, he's so fast and he's so slippery, he would have juked him anyway and still would have been as wide open as he was. Still would have been another touchdown. Um Credit to Sark to putting those guys in those kind of situations to absolutely dominate. The speed um, is just... It's di- it's, there's, there's a difference. Yeah, you can tell it, and it certainly showed on the biggest stage in college football. You know, you know
0: Steve, Steve Sarkeesian moves on to Texas. He's already been introduced to the head coach. He's given his press conference. Kyle Flood is set to join him, the offensive line coach. He's moving up to an offensive coordinator role as well. Of course, I'm sure Sark will call the plays and make all the game plans because that's where he's going to make his money. And um, So Watching what Alabama was able to do this year on offense and there was a lot of people that did not like the Sark hire when he came in two years ago um from the Falcons. He did he really didn't do a lot in Atlanta and he he had some really good playmakers. He had Todd Gurley and Devonta Freeman and uh Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, you know he he had plenty of weapons. Matt Ryan, um who I believe led the NFL in passing this year. I'm not sure. He's probably top five. He he usually is. But uh there's a lot of question marks about him coming in. He proved his worth. Now he moves on to Texas, and just real quick, we're not gonna harp on this too much because you know we wish, you know, we we hope Sart does well. But how well do you think he can do in Texas? It is a recruiting hotbed. Um, he, he, I don't think he'll have a problem getting recruits, but can he get talent that's elite enough to the level of Alabama? Because as good as his game plan was. You're also throwing the ball to Devonta Smith. You have Matt Jones who's deadly accurate. You have Najee Harris. You have the best offensive line in the country. And you know, don't don't get me wrong, Kyle Flood is a good coach, but a drunk monkey could have coached that offensive line this year. And probably a drunk monkey could have called plays. Um when when you've got this much talent, there's so many options. You can basically do what you want to. So do you see Sark panning out in Texas, you know, relatively quickly I, I don't know how patient they're going to be with him since you know his his record as a head coach is not great i think it's around like 57 percent winning percentage or something like that so it's not great and so do you see him being able to put together some 10 11 12 win seasons in the next two years
1: um i think that we brought this up in the Runners text i think it was you that told me that Texas has had three straight top eight recruiting classes. So so they're not devoid of talent at all. Um, in the Big 12, we know they do not play defense. And that's kind of right up Stark's alley. He can go there and be the head coach. And like I say, I think he misses press conference, that he is still going to call plays. And as long as they get a couple of skilled players here and there, a somewhat decent quarterback, uh, I think he's going to have relative – a good bit of success. They're going to be in the top half, probably contend for a big 12 title, um, probably year one. Um, So we'll see. Uh, I guess a recruit liked his performance in that championship game. He had a recruit commit at halftime Mm -hmm. of the game, which is uh, pretty funny. So he's, he's going to get guys in. Of course, you know, when you put up numbers like that for the past three years, you're going to draw a lot of intrigue. So good thing. Jalen Milrow for us and the Brockmire twins, They've already signed. Uh, but, yeah, Sark, he'll, he'll be okay there. Um, good luck dealing with those boosters and that administration, though. But I think okay. he'll be all right.
0: Yeah, the expectations are sky high over there. Um, and really on paper, I mean, even right now, he steps into a conference where, on paper, the only team that has a better roster than him is Oklahoma. Now, Iowa State has been good. And, Oklahoma State has had some pretty good years here and there. But as far as roster goes on paper, I think Oklahoma is the only one that's better than Texas right now. I think Iowa State's just got a really good coach. Matt Campbell, I think, is a genius over there. And what he does with less talent is pretty impressive. He just played for the Big 12 title this year. And, um, and so, you know, the problem with Sark is if you go two or three years and you get to a Big 12 championship and say you even make the playoff, If he does what Lincoln Riley has done in the playoff where he faces these SEC teams and just gets his ass whooped, then, you know, I don't know how much patience they'll have with it, Uh, you know. And that's that's, that's the thing for for Lincoln Riley as well. I mean this guy would be pretty frustrating whenever you dominate your conference, you know. I mean it's kind of like Clemson these last two years. I mean Clemson does have two natty, so it's not near to that extent, but – you know, Clemson's dominated their conference these last two years and then showing up to the playoff and got blown out. Um, and it's the same with Oklahoma. They had a good game in 2017 against Georgia with Baker Mayfield and Jake Fromm facing off. Then Georgia won in overtime, double overtime, something like that. But, uh, you know, the, the year after that, 2018, Alabama just abuses them. And I think it was like 28 to nothing in the first quarter or something like that. And then the next year, Jalen Hurts goes and plays LSU and gets beat by 30. So, I mean, there's a narrative already written about Oklahoma that they can dominate the Big 12 and then just go get drummed in the playoffs. So I think Sark has to prove that, you know, he can't just win the Big 12. He's going to have to win a playoff game. He's going to, he's going to have to compete nationally against these other big time conferences. And, you know, Alabama's, they get to play Alabama in 2022 and 2023. And I'm going to tell you right now, they're not going to win those games. They're not going to beat Alabama because Bryce Young will be in his, Second year starting by that point. And then Jalen Milrow, whoever else, maybe after that, if Bryce decides to turn pro. So Alabama's just a machine. They're, they're not slowing down. Um, so you're looking at starting those two seasons 0-1, or whenever they play. 1-1, 0-1, whenever it is. Um, but, yeah, we we do hope Sartre does well. Of course, we hope he loses to Alabama. But uh, 52-24, just impressive, impressive national championship game. We appreciate – Lester, just – What do you say – do you think that this recruiting class that came in, the freshmen, they got to see what these seniors did when they all got together, whether it's Leatherwood, Najee, Devonta, they all decided to come back for their senior year, and they said, if we come back, we're going to do this right. We're not going to fool around. We're not going to have any monkey business. We're going to get our minds right. We're going to go win a national championship, and they did just that. So do you think that these underclassmen – if they're ever put in a situation where they're borderline late first, maybe early second round grade, they decide, you know, hey, y'all remember what they did. We can do the same thing. We can all come back together and win a natty. Do you think that sends a message to the underclassmen
1: after watching the seniors do that this year? Um. Yeah. Saban says all the time about building value for yourself. He preaches it constantly. But. It's kind of like your parents. They can tell you something, but until you see it yourself, it doesn't quite ring for you. So for those, you know, underclassmen, like you said, to see those seniors, to see the guys that they look up to, to come back and win a natty, I think that is a tremendous impact for the next three or four years of Alabama football.
0: Yeah, and, um, you know, as good as this year was, you know, Nick Saban's already – Already talking about next year, um, it came out reported today that Christopher Allen is coming back for his senior year. He, uh, I think he led the SEC in tackles for loss. He was really one of the most underrated players in the country. Um, didn't really get any national recognition, but he was outstanding for Alabama setting the edge this year along with Will Anderson. Um, Josh Job is going to come back. Um, there's also a rumor that Brian Robson will take advantage of the COVID eligibility year and come back for his second senior season, and uh, and that's big, I think, for Alabama because, you know, you saw what happened with LSU last year, all the juniors, um, and I know the seniors didn't have the opportunity to come back, but all those juniors that could have come back, they're like, you know, we've done all we could do here, our time is up, we're gonna move forward. Even if I get a third-round grade, second-round grade, even if I could have come back and improved my draft stock, they all decided to go pro. And I'm not saying that if everybody goes pro, Alabama's going to have a bad season because they're not LSU. Their coach isn't an idiot. Um, he's, he's recruited well enough. He develops well enough that he can plug and play um, better than anybody in the country. And uh, so Alabama will be you know, right back in the playoff mix next year. No matter who leaves, but it would be huge for Alabama, maybe guys that are on the fence like Deontay Brown, who's another guy that, you know, all the attention on Alabama's offensive line went to Alex Leatherwood and Landon Dickerson. But, you know, a guy like Deontay Brown is a very, very good player, one of the best guards in the country, and nobody's talking about him. I haven't seen him on any mock drafts. He's probably going to get a second-round grade. He's a guy that could come back and take advantage of that COVID eligibility and, and have a senior season again um you know Christian Barmore is another one I have seen him in some first round mock drafts I think he goes pro but it would be huge to get him back because outside of Barmore you're really only losing Patrick Sertain unless Dylan Moses decides to go pro And that's another one who's got a big decision to make because you know he came out and basically said himself that he was hurt all year and uh Really didn't do himself any favors with his play. I didn't think he played bad, but everybody's expecting Dylan Moses to be in line for the Buckus award. And he wasn't anywhere close. It was Christian Harris that really shined at the inside linebacker position for Alabama this year. So he's another one. You know, do I go pro now and get drafted in the third round or do I try to get healthy in the offseason, come back and show out and go first or second round? You know, so it would be big to get some guys back like that for Alabama, wouldn't it?
1: Absolutely. I think B Rob may be the biggest addition because who do you have? I mean, Trey Sanders got in that terrible car accident and what had a bad hip or what it either way, he was out, for, he missed the rest of the season. Um, and you know, you got the guy from the kid, uh, Ken Wheaton from Oklahoma coming in, a couple other guys in the roster, but. Who else in that running back room has gotten significant carries to lead this the next running back room for the next season? So I think B. Rock coming back is great. Um, Deontay Brown, what a massive human being! Him coming back, anchoring, the, being another anchor on the offense line would be huge. And uh, like you said, um, shouldn't really lose too much on defense. It would be huge if we can get Barmore to come back to continue to grow into a monster and get a higher 1st round grade for the next year. That 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 makes complete sense to me. I think he should come back and uh, build a bigger name for himself because that guy is a baller, and he really showed up in that championship game. So as far as that, uh, Sertain's leaving that guy. You know, the best thing about the defensive back is that you don't hear much from him, and his name wasn't called Harley at all this past year. Cause he was a true lockdown corner, so for sure, best luck to that guy um, going pro. But I'm sure Saban's going to do a lot of convincing over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, you you've seen these other, seen some other guys around
0: the country. You know, guys like James Scialski at Clemson. I keep pointing back to him. Gosh, it seems like he's been there for ten years. But uh, yeah, it would be really big. And, and Saban's, you know, he's not. He's going to tell you like it is. He's going to tell you, you know. He, he's he's got the the player the best interest for the players in mind, so he's gonna let them know that hey, you need to go pro or it would benefit you more to come back and and play again. And to me, it, it would be those guys like LeBrian Ray. We didn't I didn't mention him earlier. Apologize about that. He would be a big addition to the defensive line if he was to come back. I don't see him getting anything above a third round draft grade. So Dylan Moses the same way. I, I don't see him getting anything above a third round just because of the knee. And, you know, those knees are funny. And these NFL GMs, you know, if you're not, if you weren't dominant, you know, if he had been dominant the first four or five games of the season and then kind of slacked off and he said it's because his knee was bothering him, I could see that, but he really played good against Missouri and then really, he didn't fall off. He didn't have a bad year, but, you know, you could tell he had lost a step or two and and in coverage is, is really what hurt him. And in the NFL, you got to be able to cover backside of the backfield. That's a big part of the game. And um, so, yeah, yeah. LeBron, Dillon, um, Barmore is big. I do think he goes pro. Um, and then and then big bread, Deontay Brown. Because, I mean, you know, after you win the Joe Moore Award, you're guaranteed to get two of the five back. Um, and Ikior, who's only a junior, and Evan Neal, who's only a true sophomore, he'll be draft eligible next year. So you're getting those two back guaranteed, but to get Deontay Brown back, if you have 60% of that offensive line, that'd be huge. Um, Now, I do think Alabama has guys that could play. I mean, another one, Lester, we didn't talk about is Chris Owens. You know, That's another guy who's a senior who didn't play until the end of the Florida game and then played the two playoff games, didn't really have a good game against Notre Dame, thought he played a lot better against Ohio State. He's another one that could come back. And be a starter and, intri- and improve his draft stock. So this is big for Alabama just like it is for everybody else. They had the chance to get some seniors back. But um, moving on to uh, to basketball, Alabama takes down Kentucky at Rupp Arena, 85-65. Lester, what's going on with this basketball team, man? I'm telling you. uh Her- Herb Jones does dislocate his finger. He's day-to-day. Jordan Bruner um, tears his meniscus. He's out four to six weeks. Is what uh, NATO said, but Lester. Despite the injuries, talk about this game and just the start that they've
1: had in SEC play and how fun it's been to watch. Man, it has been amazing. It's been fun. Like I said, hey, after all the doubts and all the the criticisms of NATO's early in the season, particularly up like the Western Kentucky loss, this team has come together. They've jailed Petty and Shaq, both of them finally had a good game together, and that's, that's, they, they needed that. They needed to get in that groove. They needed to see some buckets fall in. I mean, taking some deep shots. And that team just playing in the groove. I really hate to see Bruner and Hurt go down. Um, Bruner was looks like he was getting a lot of confidence, stepping back, knocking down the three, playing tough down low, getting the rebounds, doing all the dirty work but Nate Oates has this team humming right now. I'm going to be really interested to see how they're going to play going forward, missing two out of their five starters. But uh, guys like John Gary, Rojas, you know, they're going to have to step up, um, stepped up, play a, a decent game, but that's just going to step up to fill the void. And those two guys are going to leave. Yeah. Also, Javon Quinterly is still out with a,
0: a, "Quote medical condition." I don't know if it's COVID or not. If it is COVID, I don't know why they wouldn't just say that. Because I mean, goodness, it seems like everybody's had it by now, and it's not that big of a deal if you do have it. I mean, nobody's gonna, you know, there wasn't any contact tracing issues. I don't know how that would be possible in a basketball team when you're around each other every day, banging around in practice, you know, in the weight room, whatever it is. Um, There's a lot of contact in the sport of basketball, even in practice you're around everybody, you're breathing heavies, you're running around. So I don't understand how there wouldn't be a, a contact tracing situation going on if it was COVID. So maybe it's something different, but they haven't released that. He's missed three games and um, no word yet if he's going to play against Arkansas on Saturday. Um, but I, I don't think her plays. Definitely Bruner does not play. Um, so I, that, that's going to be a tough one. But, yeah, this this stretch that they played, you know, It's not Georgia and Texas A and M and Mississippi State and Vanderbilt and some, you know, even the bottom of the SEC this year. I think is really good. I mean, look what Auburn's doing with Sharif Cooper back. I think now they've elevated themselves to an upper tier of the SEC, probably top five in the league now with Sharif and just what he's able to do off the dribble and how he's able to create for everybody else. But you know, they're doing this against Tennessee and Florida and Kentucky. And Auburn with Sharif Cooper. And it's just impressive that four out of their five games were very tough opponents, very tough matchups. And, um, you know, the Auburn one was close, but the other ones, you know, they're, they're, they're not beating people on buzzer beaters. They're not, you know, beating people in double overtimes. They're, they're beating people pretty good. And that's a really good sign going forward. You just hope they can find some production, uh, for Herb and Bruner when they're, at, you know, while they're out.
1: Hey man, this this Nato's offense is being realized. Okay. Nope. Yeah, that, this Nato's offense is being realized for what it can turn into. And you know, when he first got here, everybody was talking about Oats and his offensive philosophy. But I am loving the way these guys have picked up the intensity, and they are flying around on defense. Well, this thing, this is a completely different team that we saw from the beginning of the year. This team now, they're getting the rebounds. Offensive rebounds, they're getting dirty. They're diving on the floor. They are getting after it in such an intense way that we have not seen from a Nato's team yet. And if this team continues to play like this, you can have a, a bad night offensively and still put yourself in a way to win basketball games by staying soundly and staying intense and playing great defensive basketball getting your rebounds, out hustling the other teams. And uh, I'm loving this from what I'm saying from this team. They they are the complete package when fully healthy.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's something that they just I, – I don't know if they didn't get it because this isn't Nadeau's first year. I mean, he, they, they've played for him before. They understand what he expects from an effort standpoint, and it seems like they just weren't giving it. And after every single game – Nate Oates would would talk about the effort, you know, effort, effort, effort. That's what he talked. He didn't talk about three point percentage. He didn't talk about fast break points, you know. He talked about effort, which that you know is defensive activity and rebounding, and uh, and just trying, you know, act like that you give a crap when you're playing defense. And um, you know, we we talked about how yes, it does help. It does help you on defense as a player when you're seeing shots fall and shots weren't falling early in the year for Alabama, so we thought that might lead, that might have led to some of the sloppiness on defense, but Nate Oates did something. I don't know whether it was suspending John Petty and James Rojas for the game that he did or whatever it was, but after the Western Kentucky loss, they really they really got it together as a team. It wasn't one or two players. It was every single person. I mean, you see even Shaq, who's Probably, you know, when Q's out there, he's the smallest guy on the floor, and he's still getting, you know, six, seven rebounds a game just because he's trying to be as active as possible. And, um, so yeah, you, you look, and now, now, with, with, with Herb and Brunner gone, now you've got to up the effort. You know, you got to play even harder. You get, you're going to have guys in there like Jawan Geary that just aren't good. I mean, they're, they're not, they, or, I mean, they might be good, they just haven't performed well. You know, James Rojas has had, Probably two good games, but he's been below average. Um, you know, the other games that he's played, Alex Reese will show flashes, but he's just a very average player. Those guys have to up their game if this run wants to continue for Alabama. And, um, and so we'll see if they're able to do that against Arkansas. Lester completely forgot about this man, but, uh, he says something about offensive philosophy and, it made me think. We didn't even talk about the offensive coordinator. So let's switch gears back to football for a second and talk about Bill O'Brien. He hasn't been officially hired as the offensive coordinator at Alabama, but Nick Saban's been known to just not make any announcement. He said in the Zoom call that you know Bill's gonna do. He thinks he's gonna do very well for the team and the players, which tells me that he's been hired as offensive coordinator. Tell me what you think about this hire. Well.
1: Uh, I don't. I don't <clears throat> the most I know about Bill O'Brien is from his track record and uh, Penn State, and he went on to the Texans. I mean, with <laughs> with the offensive talent that Alabama has, me and you could be great offensive coordinators. But only thing that I want from him is bring a creative playbook. Um, Saban likes the, the the smash mouth spread, which I believe Bill O'Brien is going to do, especially with his background from the NFL. Um, and it's going to be more of the same, I hope. I hope he takes Bryce Young under his wing and uh, teaches that guy what he knows about football, gives him a really fun, really creative playbook for those guys to go through and study, and I'm, I would not expect any less of an offensive performance from Alabama in the uh, 2021 season. I'm going to expect more uh, runs of 35-plus points a game, 40, 50, maybe 60 points a game. I'm not going to... I'm not gonna settle for less than that because there's no reason to. If Bill Bill O'Brien can't do it after next year, he's got to go because there's no reason why this team should not be the best offense of the nation year in and year out.
0: Yeah, it's very true. Everything you said was right on the money. I, uh, you know, I think this is probably another two year stint kind of deal. Uh, I don't, I don't know if uh, if Bob will be a, a one and done type guy. But um, you never know if he gets the right job. You, you just never know what's going to happen in the coaching world. But um, I think Saban just wants him for two years. Um, they're talking about bringing Kevin Sumlin in as an analyst. I think he'll throw a couple of wrinkles in um, from a quarterback run standpoint because he was able to coach Johnny Manziel. And now you have a quarterback that's mobile. Um, you have two quarterbacks that are mobile. Jalen Milro coming in, um, I, I look for him to be the backup. I, I don't think it will be Paul Tyson. I don't think it's going to be Braxton Barker. I think it's gonna be uh Bryce Young's gonna start and then it's gonna be Jalen Milrow. So you've got two guys that are very similar. Um Bryce is a much better thrower, but um Milrow that they both can move and they can get outside the pocket and they can hurt you in the quarterback run game as well. So I think Kevin Sumlin, if he does come on as an analyst, I think that's a good addition as well <clears throat> because uh excuse me because he's you know, he he's coached a dynamic quarterback as well. Um and actually Khalil Tate and uh and Johnny Menzel. But yeah, I think Sabin Really liked what he saw this year with the NFL concepts that Sartre was able to bring as far as a power run game. But at the same time, we can throw it whenever we want to, and we can throw it to all levels of the field. You can throw it in the flat, you can throw the medium, the medium routes, you can throw to the tight end, and you can throw the ball deep. And everything revolves around that play action deep ball. I think that really this opened up Alabama's offense this year in a way that has never been done before because when you're completing the deep ball at a 60% rate like Mac Jones was, man, you cannot afford to creep up as a safety and in, in, with, with as explosive as Alabama was this year on the outside. I'm not saying it's going to be the same next year, but you're going to have guys that can go deep. You're going to have elite wide receivers just like they do every year. And so... That downfield passing game, when you're a defensive coordinator, you've got to tell your safeties, man, look, you cannot – you've got to make dang sure that it's a run before you commit to it, and that and, – you know, then that causes you to play with six in the box, you know, and when you've got a solid offensive line and you've got a solid run game, like I, I believe Alabama will have again next year, whether it's Brian Robinson or Jace McClellan or Trey Sanders or Kamara Wheaton, who, whoever steps in there runs the ball – I think they'll find guys on offensive line, whether that's Chris Owens or if he leaves and you got Darian Dalcourt coming in, um, who's been very impressive at practice over the last two years. Um, I think you'll have guys that are able to, to fill in at the tackling guard slots. Um, and, and, and so it's, it's going to be a good offense, but I think Bill O'Brien will look at this and he'll look at Sark's film and maybe say will be like, look, I really like this. That was fun. <laughs> and, uh, and I think you'll see a lot of the same stuff. Maybe not as much motion, and um, maybe a little bit more spread, you know. Unless, you know, pistol where the running back stacked up behind the quarterback. I don't want to get too, you know, X's and O's-y for everybody. In case, you know, that they they can't break it down like I can. But just like you were talking about the smash mouth spread, where it looks like a power run game, but in reality, it's an aired it out type of offense, and it's downfield going for the throat kind of of, kinda kinda passing game. And that opens up everything else. So yeah, I think Bill O'Brien will bring those same kind of concepts. Not really sure how much he's going to be asked to recruit. Um Steve Sarkeesian, he did a little bit of recruiting, but he wasn't the main guy on a lot of recruits that came in just because I think Saban knew this was a a short term deal and and he probably got what he wanted out of Sark. He probably got those two years. And I think Bill LeBron's going to have the same thing. I think he comes in for two years, and then Lance has a big time job somewhere.
1: I'll take it. Um, one thing I want to see is just creativity. Creativity. I know there were certain plays that Sark ran the pre the precept motion, the the Mac Jones directing guys here and there. Like you just knew, oh snap! Like something fun is about to happen. You just knew it. Um, not that having fun has anything to do with offense, but the eye candy. Imagine I'm, – I'm just trying to think of myself as a linebacker watching that. Oh, Najee's going over here. Devontae Smith's is going here. Like, oh, crap. And defensive coordinators got tortured with that all season long. So, hey, hopefully Bill O'Brien can stress out coordinators the same way Sart did.
0: Yeah, Nina, now that you mentioned that eye candy, one of my favorite plays from the national championship game, we were talking about it earlier – and I'd love to get Drew Montgomery on here because he was down there. Not only was he down there, I think he recorded every single play in the first half because he was sending us <laughs> videos of every touchdown that we scored. He got it all on video and they're just tremendous. And uh, the play where we kept running the fly motion over and over, we kept throwing it to that side. And then all of a sudden, we run the fly motion to the right, play action to Najee on the left. And so once Mac, you know, turns and the linebacker you say, okay, he didn't give the ball to, to Najee. It's definitely a pass to the right. So I start running that way. Well, there goes Najee sneaking out to the left. Matt throws it off his back foot because they did get good pressure. Najee catches it one handed, goes down there. Here comes the white linebacker. He gets juiced out of his shoes and then Najee jumps into the end zone. So that was probably one of my favorite plays of the game. That's how I can that you're talking about. Everything is going right. Then you play action left then you roll right and then you throw back left. <laughs> and, and it's just, it shows you that, that everything that C.S. Arkansas was about. And that's what you're going to miss. But yeah, hopefully uh, Bill O'Brien can bring some of those concepts and, and keep them at the university. But, um, uh, Lester, you know, we talked a little hoops. Uh, we're, we're going to talk more hoops next week, probably after the Arkansas game. And, uh, hopefully by that time, you know, we'll have some more updates on what seniors and juniors are doing whether they're going pro or they're coming back let's hope that we get some back that uh <clears throat> that we that were that we weren't supposed to you know you kind of figure ones that go pro but you know maybe a Christian Balmore shows up and decides he's going to come back so um anything you want to say about the 2020 football season
1: man it was hella fun that's all I got to say I'm glad this team started it from start to finish setting records um, Devontae Smith is probably the most humble player to come through Alabama. Seeing him do everything that he did, uh and seeing Saban shed a thug tear for his team was that, that said a lot. That that really did said a lot. So hey, a fun team to watch and uh, I'll for sure never forget this team as long as I live.
0: Yeah, you know, before we go real quick, talking about Landon, you know, Saban letting him go in and, and taking the the last two snaps of the game and uh and then you know, picking Saban up and then you know, Saban crying. Just talk about how special that was. You, you, could, you could see how much it meant to Saban, and you can see how much the team meant to Landon. I mean, he goes in there, and Chris Owens gives him a big old bear hug before he goes off the field, and then every single line, then Miller Forrestall comes up to him, and then Leatherwood. I mean, all of them just embracing Landon. That moment meant so much to him, and uh it was such a cool thing to see. And, yeah, the uh, the camaraderie on the team was one that you really don't see that much in college because – A lot of college kids are, you know, I'm trying to be in here three years and I'm trying to get out, trying to go make my money, especially the big time program like Alabama. We've seen it before. Um, And so to see a team that was this close and to see how much they meant to coach Saban, how special
1: was that? Really special. Saban has talked about it a lot and what was interesting, He said that the COVID-19 kind of made this team more together because you have to be around each other much, much more. There aren't no going out to the bars with, you know, this click or that click. Like, you're hanging out with your team. You're learning about each other. You're working out with each other in the offseason. I think a video that kind of freaked everybody out a little bit before we knew a lot about this COVID situation was Mac and Bryce and a couple of the guys, they just went out to the practice field and just throwing it around, having a great time. Those teammates – they loved each other and you can really tell it. And uh, Saban really sits that and that meant a lot to him. So this is truly a special team because like you said, you don't get that a lot.
0: Yeah, man, it was a fun year from September 22nd all the way to January 11th. We pre, you know, we we had fun every game. Um, It it was a heck of a season, one that we definitely won't forget. And I'm sure all the Alabama fans out there won't forget either. Um, And, uh, it's definitely something special. We enjoyed watching it. But, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch y'all next week. Uh, Guntbrenner's podcast episode 19. Chase Orton, Buster Mitchell.
1: We're out.